0: Good evening, everyone. My name is Matt F or Matt J F, depending on what community you come from. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater living in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, And if you were on this meeting two nights ago, you're not imagining things. I, by happenstance, was also the speaker two nights ago, so. Um, I have been in this program for I think about 1,700 days. I came into the program on February twenty third of twenty nineteen. Um I do qualify as a hundred pounder. Uh I am fifty I will be fifty-three in January of next year. And uh I have been a compulsive overeater for all fifty-three nearly of those years. Uh I was, you know, a fat kid. I was uh you know, medically diagnosed as obese by the time I was a young adult, and there I stayed. Uh, I'm five foot eight, and my top weight was 380 pounds, and that was back in 2003, and that's when I had roux y gastric bypass surgery, and, uh, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. It did work for me. Um, my weight stabilized at about 110 pounds lower than my high, I ranged between like 255 and 275 for the next 16 years or so. Uh, and then I came into this program and uh and I've maintained about a 40 pound weight loss uh since I came into this program. And that I hope will be about the last that I speak about weight because um honestly uh when I came into this program. Mm. mm. Oh, I'm
1: coming.
0: I'm coming. I'm coming. Oh. Can I still be heard? Yes, well, you can be heard. Thank you. Um sorry, I was saying I think that'll be the last that I speak about weight uh, tonight, because um, for me, although you know, most of my life, you know, I have I've always the, the, there was like this magical incantation. I'm quote trying to lose weight. Uh, that was true every probably every day leading up to the gastric bypass, and really every day since. And uh, Weirdly, when I came into this program, I I was actually not focused on, quote, trying to lose weight, which was pretty rare. Um, I wasn't looking for a solution and I did not believe that I had this problem. Uh, so why would I be looking for a solution? Um, on February 23rd, 2019, uh, I had people in my life who I knew well and cared about who were in recovery in in the parent beverage program, and so I knew about sort of how the steps worked and how recovery worked, and and I believed in them. I mean, I, you know, my girlfriend at the time was recovered in in AA uh, for quite a while. I didn't know her before then, but um, you know, I, I had learned enough to understand how different uh, recovery had made her and and the friends that I met through her. But I did not believe that, um, that OA was for me. In fact, I thought that OA, and ha- I had said this aloud, was BS, except that I didn't say BS because basically, quote, I'm not one of those people. And in my mind, that was because, you know, I didn't I I had never weighed and didn't weigh, you know, 900 pounds. I could get out of bed and fit through doorways. Uh, You know, I I no longer needed the seatbelt extender on planes. Um, And, you know, I could climb a flight of stairs at that point without feeling like I was going to die. And so I just thought, you know, we admitted we were powerless over food and our lives were kind of manageable. Yeah, that's not me. I'm not powerless over food. Um, And, you know, there's a saying in the rooms, you know, I misunderstood the assignment. I misunderstood the assignment. What I didn't understand and then suddenly came to understand was that uh, that as described in the big book, that my malady is that for me, there are some foods that once I start, I cannot stop, and I cannot stop from starting. I have a mental blind spot that keeps me from remembering that the foods that I can't stop eating are foods that I can't stop eating when I'm presented with the opportunity to eat them. And then once I start, it's like having a deadly peanut allergy, except that every time someone offers you a peanut, you don't remember that you're allergic. And then once you eat your first peanut, instead of panicking and going like, where's my EpiPen? you just want more peanuts and you can't stop from eating And um, I learned that very suddenly when I begrudgingly listened to uh, an Overeaters Anonymous Big Book Step Study on YouTube and uh, for reasons having absolutely nothing to do with weight. It had to do with my job and I, I, I don't work in recovery. Um, so it was really like a weird happenstance that i i had i that was a, that listening to a big book step study was a thing that I wanted to do um and even weirder that I wound up listening to one for o a but there it is, and so the guy was qualifying and on this recording and it was about twenty minutes in, and I was not identifying with anything he i think he had told he told three stories total. He was telling the second story and I actually found it so nauseating that I almost turned off the recording. And that was when he said those words. For me there are some foods that once I start I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. And you know, my goose was cooked. Like there was just no way that I could deny that that was true for me. You know, there were there was a particular beverage that I drank. Um, that I had tried to—it was, you know, filled with sugar, carbonated, caramel color, caffeine. I mean, I was a connoisseur of this beverage. I knew all the best places to get it and what the differences were between McDonald's and Burger King, and why McDonald's tastes it so much. By I mean, like crazy. I knew a crazy amount about this thing. I tried to quit drinking it. I don't know a dozen times over the years, and uh, you know, I had always succeeded until I didn't. And sometimes the, my success was measured in months. Often it was measured in seconds. And now I haven't had that beverage in, you know, coming up on five years, I guess. So this program does work. Um, and, and it is true that for me, so like for me to deny that there was a there was a decently long list of foods that once i started i couldn't stop and i couldn't stop from starting would have been like denying that i have brown eyes if you could see me you could see that i have brown eyes and if you had seen any significant portion of my life you would be able to tell that uh, i was a compulsive overeater by that definition so thank goodness i didn't turn off the step study before i heard those words because it changed my life um, I was also devout agnostic at that time, and uh, I, you know, because I just spoke the other night, like I'm not really sure what I'm going to say, but I definitely do want to try and speak to any newcomers who are on the line or anyone who's early in their program and struggling, um, and just tell you, like, I don't, I don't know if there's anyone on the line who was like worried about the quote God thing. Um, I I should have been, but I wasn't. I was an agnostic when I came in. I grew up with no religion at all. Um I had you know, barely been to church or prayed in my entire life. And um it would it would have been it was very unlike me to just not worry about the God thing. But I just didn't I just trusted that when I needed to have a clear enough conception of a higher power, I would and I figured, you know, well, if I don't, then I guess, like, this isn't going to work. And the truth is, like, I didn't really expect it to work. I, I didn't, listening to that step study, and I got to the end, I understood the concepts. I understood abstinence. I understood, you know, how the steps worked in the program. I had new understanding of how the big book applies to my problem. You know, I don't, I don't have alcoholism. I know that for sure. I gave up drinking voluntarily for medical reasons. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, and it was like nothing. You know, I, I know that I'm not a, a narcotics addict because I took prescription narcotics for uh, for herniated disc in my back for months. Pretty heavy dose. And then when my back got better, I had to stop. And I was a little grouchy for three days, and it was over. I don't have those problems, but I definitely have the food problem. And the Big Book talks extensively about that, and all that I need to do as a compulsive overeater to use the Big Book as the textbook of my recovery is replace the word alcohol with food and the word alcoholic with compulsive overeater in my head, and I'm good. So I, in the Big Book, you know, I'll just say like, it is chock full of God. The first 164 pages, I don't know how many times it mentions the word God, certainly well over 164 times. You know, I I like to think about the steps as they're written specifically, especially steps one and two. Once I admitted that I was powerless over food, that for me, I, I just have this condition where there's some foods that once I start, I can't stop. I can't stop from starting. And and I didn't cheat, like there's no part of that. Like there's, like there's not a second part of that that says, because I am a weak schmuck. There's no part of it that says, because I don't have enough willpower, because I don't have enough discipline, because I don't want it bad enough, because no one ever offered me enough dollars per pound to lose weight, which happened a lot when I was a kid, because I never hated the way that I looked in the mirror enough. I never hated shopping for clothes enough. There's no part of that. It's just like having brown eyes. I was born like this. I didn't choose to have brown eyes and I didn't choose to be a compulsive overeater. So admitting, for me, like admitting that powerlessness, although it took me a long time to think of myself as an addict and I really resisted that word even in recovery. When I finally did, it was like the first step all over again. It was like it was such a load off, no pun intended. Like I, It was such a relief to know that this was not my fault and that no amount of willpower was ever going to be sufficient because there are some foods that I have no power over. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. So if my life hadn't been unmanageable, who cares about the food, right? It doesn't matter. What made my life unmanageable for me is that in addition to the physical allergy and the mental twist, I also had this emotional intolerance, which was that anytime my life got emotionally uncomfortable, I couldn't stand it and I would eat until I was so physically full that I couldn't feel the feeling anymore or the feeling had gone away, you know, same difference. If I I didn't have the emotional intolerance, I don't think I ever would have eaten my way up to almost 400 pounds. But I do. And that combination is what led to my life being unmanageable. It wasn't just about the food for me, and it wasn't just about the weight for me. It was about the fact that I didn't know how to deal with my feelings. And once I was able to decouple my food problem from my emotional thing, like I had a new way to work on the emotional thing. They weren't connected anymore. That was the unmanageability for me. Step two, I like to because it just says this. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It doesn't say we came to believe that a power we understood could restore us to sanity. Step three says, um, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, I can't believe a power the power greater than ourselves can restore sanity. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. As we understood God, not a God that we understood. It's just like, I like to think about step two as being like, it doesn't even say higher power and it doesn't mention God. All it says is, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's the antidote to what happens in step one, the unmanageability. For me, I just have to have a sort like, a lack of power. That's my dilemma. I don't have the power to change this. I, I don't have the power to change the color five of my eyes. Through, or, I, five minutes remaining, thank you. Matt. Thank You're you. Welcome. I don't have the power to change any of those things. Why would I be able to change this malady that I have? I was born with all of them. But that source of power doesn't need to be the deity of a religion, doesn't need to be an infinite power, doesn't need to be anything but a power greater than me. That was a relief too. I didn't have to figure out what God was. I just had to trust that there might be a source of power greater than me. So step one is like, I have to stop getting myself that I don't have this thing that clearly I have. Step two is just, then I think there are only two possibilities. There is either a source of power greater than me or there's not. And I just chose to believe that there might be and acted accordingly. And then step three is just, I made a decision to do what? Move on to step four. Trust that whatever whatever that greater power turned out to be, it was going to be enough, keep me safe, and keep me abstinent while I worked the steps. Now, my 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 understanding of my conception of my higher power has certainly evolved over time. Although it 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 really took root pretty early that for me, I I just just I sort of like decided and also faith arrived that. God is literally everything. I take my definition of God right from the big book. From the chapter, We Agnostics, there's a sentence that says, uh, we finally had to admit that, that either God was nothing or else God, he is everything. And I just chose everything. And I chose everything because w- when I did, my life just started working way better. But I could have chosen anything. As long as I trusted that it would keep me it would be sufficient and sufficiently reliable to keep me abstinent and sufficiently powerful to keep me safe while I worked the steps. And it was. So I know my time is about up and, and I'll just wrap up by saying that you know I I don't I don't believe that um that every moment of anyone's life who qualifies for this program is the right moment to start working the steps. I don't believe that, um, I believe that if, if my moment had arrived at a different time in my life, a few years earlier, or a couple years earlier, when I was like in the thick of getting divorced from my wife, I don't, this wouldn't have stuck. I had other stuff going on. It just so happened that that moment fell into a space in my life when I didn't and i think that there is um there's integrity in the in the honest attempt even if the time is not right and you can't keep your abstinence for as long as you think or you can't work the steps as thoroughly as you would like or think you should you know i think there's a lot of honor and integrity in the attempt and in keeping coming back so if you're struggling, you know, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's just not quite the moment yet for you. Maybe you're not broken. You're just unfinished. That's how I feel about myself. I, I certainly still have moments when I'm like, boy, am I? do I suck pretty bad. But underlying that self-judgment is that deep faith that if God is really everything, that includes me. And so I don't actually suck. I'm just unfinished. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. My number is 310-873-8619. 310-873-8619. Although that is a Los Angeles phone number, I do not live in Pacific time. I live in Eastern time. And, uh, I would not suggest calling without texting first. The odds of me answering a number I don't recognize are very low, and the odds of me getting a voicemail uh, are unfortunately also low for reasons I have never been able to figure out. So texting first is always your best bet, And, uh, and I'll either call you or we can arrange the time to talk. So with that, I will pass. Thank you.